you see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs The day you're home will just tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the The audit is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit, and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the lever's independent journalism. Audit supporters will get expanded episodes of the audit and every single episode of the new series in advance, the day the first episode drops. On top of that, each of our supporters will also get access to the Lever's premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks, and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can find the audit's tip jar at levernews/audit and leave us a tip. They split the bill into two, uh, like as you would do when there's union negotiations. You separate sick leave from everything else, which is not a thing, and none of the progressive members fought it. Uh, or made a peep about it, so it was clearly, nope. you know, it just seems like it was being done for cover for them to vote against it. I don't know. It's bad. It's ridiculous. I mean, no fire on behalf of the people. Man, no. if I was in that Congress, the things I could do <clears throat> on the floor. So here, here's Yeah, question. on the floor. <laughs> on the Just on the floor alone. Here's yeah. my question. Yeah. And I constantly wonder this. It's, it, 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 if it, it, something happens in politics, it's something that happens in money. There's a... Um, Bill Hicks had a great bit, a great comedian, about uh, uh, what happens when you're elected president. That basically, no matter who you are, whatever you, you say, whatever you ran on, your first day in the office, they take you into a room and they show you footage of the JFK assassination from an angle you've never seen before. <laughs> and then they go, do you have any questions? And you go, yes, sir. What's my agenda? Right. And it really does seem like something happens. I understand that, you know, you're not going to just get in there. I mean, it's politics. There's all kinds of stuff you have to do. And we all understand that, that compromise is a huge part of that. I mean, one of the frustrating things to me about the Democrats is that they compromise with themselves long before they get to the floor to Democrat to, you know, to do it with the Republicans. But there's, there's compromise and then there's compromise. Some of these people just get in and you wonder what happened. I mean, they really... Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? What are the meetings that are going on behind the door? What are the promises being made? And does anybody ever get in with the attitude of, uh, like, I don't have to do this forever? Right. You know, I understand. It's like there's all, but but you just want someone who's willing to go in and just once go, look, I'm, I'm going to do it the right way. And if that, if my political career goes down in flames, it goes down in flames. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you should go in there like, hey, this may be my only term. And so I'm going to comport myself accordingly. But but it seems like people do that and something happens. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. I I also think that it seems very much that there's just people around them all the time going, that's not the way you should do it. Here's why. They just keep saying that to you over and over and over again until you're part of the machine. But it just seems like they just keep going... Oh, but see, that won't work, and here's why, and here's why. And see, now you made that person mad. Do you want to make him mad? Because he controls this. And and pretty soon, you're just doing absolute garbage after a while, it seems. But I mean, the same look, thing happens still- with money, to a certain extent. Yeah. You get people, I mean, there's so many examples of this. I remember reading an interview with Sean Penn back when he was kind of an interesting actor and probably like the best actor of our generation. And they asked him why he was doing these sort of smaller, offbeat films. And he said, you know, look, once, once you have $10 million, you don't need money. I thought that's okay. I mean, it's a it's a big number, but I I respect that. And you know, a couple of years later, he starts doing just the most awful stuff, and now he's got <laughs> way more than ten million dollars. And like, what happened? Like, what happens at ten million dollars that you go? I need more than this. Like, I I don't I don't get. And it just seems like there's this thing that happens with people that that we never get. Nobody ever comes back and tells us what happened. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. You know, well, I, I, in fact, I want to get you on the record, uh, Senator Turner, that uh, once, uh, uh, if if uh, if we are so fortunate as you are elected to um, national office again, uh, Dave and I both talked. We are going to go to work for your presidential campaign. Should you ever decide to <laughs> announce? Um, and when you're a year into it, and you have sold out every single solitary belief that you claim to have had and have turned into one of these monsters, I want you in the record now saying you will come back on the show and explain exactly what happened to us. <laughs> I will. First of all, that's not going to happen. However, if, if the body snatchers get me, I will definitely <laughs> come back and explain what happened. All right. We're here the President of the United States right. who's going to explain why she's... <laughs> I believe that will happen. Um, good Lord. Hey, we're closing in on the end of this thing. Uh, by the way, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. How about you both? Very good. A lovely yeah, one. Good. Lovely one. Spent it with uh, yeah. my wife's family and our newborn, and uh, we were in bed by 9.30. <laughs> That's my new life. Um, uh yeah, I was interested in um, these chapters. I thought, uh, did, you, did you get a chance to watch the debate episode? I did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, should we, should we walk through it? I thought it was kind of a fun chapter. It's, uh, it's weird. They talk about debates, and they talk about how they're not just snappy comebacks and knockout blows. And then they proceed to walk us through all their favorite knockout <laughs> blows. Yeah, right. From debates, which yeah. I got to admit was an entertaining section. I was like, it was the first time I was actually watching this going, oh, that's fun. It was. Uh... But obviously, in their opinion, those were not snappy. Those were substantive. And that's why they used them as an exa- as example. It, it, it is substantive to them, though, to them. Yeah, they, to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like if that's I was not... a candidate and they asked me to debate, I would go, no. And I and they and they ask why they say because I don't like any of the moderators. Mm-hmm. Have a socialist. I want you to have a socialist on the moderator panel, and then the other candidate would go, "I'm not doing that." And I go, "Why are you afraid of socialists? Are you scared of socialist questions?" 
just go on the attack on the whole thing and don't be on the back foot. But that's the reason debates are stupid is the moderators used to be run by the uh, women's club. Uh, League of Women's Voters. League of Women's Voters. And they did a much better job with questions. And once the networks took over in 92, it just turned into. Well, no, it was it was. Um, uh first debate it was the commission on um, presidential debates that took over and that, that was, was funded by that was funded by uh the networks the uh cnn and so so on right but that was that was the 88 debates it was the first one they ran and that was because do you remember i had forgotten this do you remember why the league of women voters stopped doing it uh they were being as i recall i looked into this they were being told what questions to ask and whatnot, they were losing control. Their statement was, when they pulled out, was the demands of the two campaign organizations would perpetrate a fraud on the American voter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and so it, that's a good example of someone keeping their integrity and then the system gets worse. <laughs> yeah. They step away and nobody cares at the end of the day. Uh, or knows. I mean, I don't think I, I or certainly knows, yeah. I don't think the majority of the American people know that. My problem with debates, I mean, one of the things I did agree with what they both had to say was that is it's a show. You know, I can't remember which one of them said that, mm. but they were agreeing with mm -hmm. each other. It it is definitely a show. So Shakespeare's All the World is a stage. Yes. Is particularly important in a debate. But they're so artificial to how people really govern. And that's what burns me. No president, no governor, no dog catcher is going to do their job alone. You have advisors, you have cabinet right. members, you get together with these people. By and large, they inform the decisions that you make, even if ultimately you still lean to your own understanding. It's just artificial mm. terrain. And to me, it really, I disagree with the two men. The, the public is in, interested in the snappy comeback. They are sure. because it's a damn show. So even though they said that, as you both laid out, they then proceeded to give show examples of snappy comebacks because it is indeed all about the show. Um, yeah. One of yeah. the best debates from uh, 2020 is you know when uh, former uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard went at it with uh, yeah. Senator Harris. Harris. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that man. was amazing. And by the way, too, this is how how cynical we've become. And I remember when uh, Kamala Harris went after Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. I and was said, that, that little girl, girl was me. me. Yeah. It was about a minute later. I thought, wait a minute, let me check. And I went to her website. And within two and a half minutes of that line, you could buy that little girl was me T-shirts on Kamala Harris's website. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey. They did that. Now I got to give it to them. They did that. That was yeah, a show. No, that was I mean, that was great. Ready. But it was there was a show, and, and then of course there's. You know what else? Yeah. She was telling the truth, though. I, I mean, know, that's, that's the irony. Yes. She was telling the truth about this dude. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, that, that just deeply disturbing moment when she goes on Stephen Colbert a few months later and he's just hammered, like, why did... And she's going, it was a debate, ha, ha, yeah. ha. And you're just right. going, that's not an answer. Nope. <laughs> it was a debate. <laughs> that's so not an answer. It's so disturbing. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, but there were there were. I mean, there's always interesting moments in there. They talked about. Um, uh, I thought it was when they talked about the the one in in Bush v. Gore, where mm-hmm. I completely forgot this until I saw it. Um, but yeah, oh, let me let me did? play the clip. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, no, I just is, I remember I this. I saw it. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. But this was hilarious. It's a performance. It's a performance, and, yeah. but it's a performance with a lot of substance to it because they want to hear what it is that you want to do. They're not interested necessarily in the necessarily in the snappy response or the towel sna- snapping that goes on in a lot of debates. So that could help them understand who you are if you make, if you yeah, if you are. peevish. And yeah, if you're if you're if you're Al Gore and it's 2000 and you walk up and try and intimidate the governor of the state of Texas and he turns around at you and has a funny smile on her face and nods his head towards you and goes back to what he's doing, you've lost right. without saying a word. It's not only what's your philosophy and what's your position on issues, but can you get things done? And I believe I can. <laughs> So that that moment is hilarious. I wish we could show a video. It's it's just Bush talking, and Gore walks over, and he's kind of lumbering towards him in this weird way. And Bush stops, and he looks at him like kind of funny, and then he smirks, and he's like nods at him, and he goes back to it. Because and and Brian, our research guy, pointed something out. And I thought this was this was particularly astute because it is very similar to that moment when Trump was lurching all over the stage uh, after Hillary yeah. Clinton. And the difference is George W. Bush knows how to roll with a joke. Say yes. that about him. Like, he's just like, <laughs> what are you doing there, buddy? <laughs> Whereas, and, and Trump was playing to his strength, which is being a creep, you know, and a, and a bully. Yeah. And unfortunately, Hillary Clinton was playing to her strength. And it made me think of, like, if this was almost planned out, because her strength is is to take advantage of, like, her entire shtick, I guess, is to, is to she wants people to see how badly she's being mistreated because of her gender. You know what I mean? She wants everyone to be outraged for her. And so she doesn't know what to do when this big creepy guy comes at her. And I'm like, I mean, that whole time you're just going, oh my God, say something. Just say something. Just throw it in his face. There's so many things she could have said. But she doesn't have that. She doesn't have that aggression. She has that. It really is this almost this victimhood. And and honestly, I got like, Senator Turner, what, what, when you're watching that, like, what would you... <laughs> I would have paid money to see watch to watch Donald Trump or anyone try to do that to just come up and lumber at you and try to creep you out, like first, to intimidate all, you physically. I don't think that would happen to me because the vibe I put off. Don't try me. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Think you're right. Don't, don't do it, brother. You don't want this smoke, so it would have never happened. But your yeah. point, I mean, about how Bush handled Gore, and it was it was it was hilarious to me. Bush looked at him like, "Dude, what you doing? Who you think you are?" You know, he just kind of. <laughs> And, and Bush is a funny, you know, not that what happened during his presidency certainly yes. is funny, but he just has this kind of funny personality without even trying to be. He's like the straight man in a, in a, in a comedy. You know, right. the straight man gets a lot of laughs, and that's what that, you know, seeing that segment uh, reminded me of. But, no, I, I, I think people only try people like that who they think they can get away with it. Yeah. And um, they couldn't have done that to me. I don't think they would have done that to even somebody like Reverend Jesse Jackson, for example. You know, going God, no. today. Just <laughs> no, no they couldn't have. Yeah. And, and Bernie would have looked at them and kept going because he <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Senator Sanders would have kept going because that would have just, he would have just ignored you. He wouldn't even known it was, it was happening because he is yeah. so focused on what he is saying. Exactly. And I kept thinking that there was a moment, and I, it, you know, it's a fine line. You don't want people behaving like this all the time. But wasn't it John Fetterman on Bill Maher years ago? And it was one of those, 
it wasn't Matt Walsh, but it was one of those Reason Magazine guys. I started making fun of him for the tattoos. Do we talk about this already? I can't. No. And, um, so. and this is all Bill Maher. It's worth looking up. And, and it was the first time I'd seen Fetterman on TV. This is years ago. And he's talking about his tattoos, which is um, uh, each one represents somebody who was killed while he was mayor, killed by violence while he was mayor. And this guy starts making fun of him, like just trying to sort of, you know, just, just mock him for this stuff. And Fetterman turns to him and he's like, you want to step outside? And he's completely serious. <laughs> and the guy just shrinks back. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, some people come from a different place, man. Yeah, that's that's it. Like, but that's, uh, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest problem with a Gore and a Dukakis and a Hillary Clinton is that yes. they aren't people anymore. They've been told how to behave so much. They have no idea who in the fuck they are. And when they're on stage, they're, they're trying to act like this weird robot that doesn't actually exist in the world. And everybody can see it. That's, the, that's why Trump tore it up. That is the no. main reason. Because he, he was the jackass you know from the gym or that idiot you know at the deli. And you're just like, well, that's a real person. Even though he's a lunatic, no. he is more real than any of them were. Now, Obama he... had a very realness to him while delivering speeches. He had that skill. But no other Democrats have in my life. I guess maybe Clinton did, but Clinton always gave me a creepy, weird vibe. I never liked Clinton. And Clinton won his first election because of uh, Perot. So that's a, a, a weird one. But they're not. They're like robots. And, and people, are, people don't like it anymore. If they ever did, they're really done with it. It goes along with you're not doing anything for me. Yeah. It's all right. caught up in that. And authenticity. I mean, going back to your point about Dave, about Trump, I mean, he's authentically a lunatic, but he's authentic yeah. to who yeah. he is and the energy mm -hmm. that he puts, that bravado and all of that, that that's him. And so he doesn't mind displaying it to the rest of the world because he could give less than a damn about what you think about him. And so he does that. And so there is something to be said, even if you don't like the guy, about, about knowing who you're dealing with. And yeah. people can spot artificial. And that is yeah. the problem that Clinton had, that Gore had. It's, it was all performative for them. Well, you want to so, hear, they, they do a thing, you know, you're making me think, with the, one of the clips they play, and I do remember this, everyone remembers this, but I caught this tiny detail this time. Um, they, they do a bit on the 1988 debates. They talk about the importance of picking the right moderator. It's a small thing. It's not that interesting. And, um, but they get into the Dukakis thing and that famous question. But listen carefully to the question and listen carefully to his answer. I, had, I don't know if I caught this the first time, but the language used. and I'll, it, it may be too small even, but, but listen to this. Governor, if Kitty Dukakis were raped and murdered, would you favor an irrevocable death penalty for the killer? No, I don't, Bernard, and I think you know that I've opposed the death penalty during all of my life. Et cetera, et cetera. Would you, but check it, he says, if Kitty were raped, would you? And he says, no, I don't. Not no, I wouldn't, which would be the human response. If you're actually listening to somebody talk, you know, he's, he's, he's a robot. He's not even, it's not even that he's unmoved by the scenario. He's literally just standing like a robot. He hears the word death penalty and he goes, 
No, I don't, Bernard. I, he hasn't even heard the question. Yeah, but that's because we're taking a a form of campaigning and electing from the 1800s and applying mm. it to people in the year 1988. They don't debate all the time anymore. They don't have debates in the park and they yeah. go to the next day and have a debate in the meeting hall at the next town. Yeah. So by the time they get to that stage, they are not that good at it. And it's weird and awkward and stilted for everybody. Speaking in front of people is really hard. Taking questions in front of people is even harder. It is. So this is a, a fake thing that we do to try to get a gotcha moment. And this is probably the most gotcha moment question in our history. Yeah. It's a total bullshit question. It's That's a it. terrible question by a by a media person trying to take someone down. That's yeah. the whole purpose of it. It also it also reminds me of when we came out of that debate, they should have been like everyone should have been like, what the hell was he doing asking that question? But it's the same thing that happened with Howard Dean, which was, you know, they took a little moment yeah. and they blew it up into something and the media then went crazy. Look at his answer, look at his answer. And the spin people did their thing. When anybody watching it would have just been like, well, that was that was a ugly mess of a situation. But it's the media. That's the media doing their thing, going off and tearing it apart. And again, the artificial nature. Yeah. Of that. I mean, it makes no sense in the context of the office they were running for or the context of anything. And it was so like searingly depressing, you know, just even to hear the man ask that question, I'm like, you know, I'm losing my takes my breath away. You know, you ask yeah. this man if his wife was raped and mur what? So like from my neighborhood, they would have said, don't ask me that kind of question, man. They wouldn't even, right. who are you talking to? Yeah, what's, what's the matter That's with you? That's exactly, I, I mean, there's, there's so many things that go through your head when you hear that answer. I would have said the same thing. I would have been like, what are you doing? Like, why would you ask that? What is Come your on. problem? Turn it on the model. also like, <clears throat> why are you I'm the thinking governor. About like, what do you, what do you, because this is about furloughs. That's where this question came out of. He yeah, was giving furloughs yeah. to people. Yep. And and so, you know, they're trying to do a gotcha question with that. And there's people out there that actually had that happen. This isn't how you do it. That's right. It, it would it should have been a John Federer moment. We're gonna take this outside. I'm gonna be waiting for you. Yeah. yeah. This debate. Yeah. Yes. A Will Smith you moment. Imagine if Dukak oh my god, if Dukak had pushed the thing him. over, walked up and slapped. <laughs> Oh my God! This ain't well for you. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, hilariously, God. this is the first debate that's that uh, that's out of the League of Women Voters control, right? Yeah. And yes. here we are. Yeah, here we are. Because if you go look at if you go look at the years before, just the two elections before the Reagan, they're very substantial debates. They're very nuanced. Yeah. They're going over immigration. They're going over all this stuff. And they're very nuanced questions. And they're very smart questions. And now we're at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I got some stuff about that. Otherwise, I would not watch the debates. But because of my profession, I have to. But one of the things that gets me, I mean, this is far afield, is, is people watch them and they sit there. And I, this, this, this hit me years ago. And it's always interesting. You watch debates. Obviously, if you're watching a debate and you're watching it with friends, you're not watching it with a bunch of friends who are rooting for a different candidate than you. Um, for the most part, Usually. Uh, at least in the presidential debates, you know, the primary one's a different thing. 
And people sit there, and I remember, like, you know, sitting there watching the, the Clinton-Trump debates with a bunch of people, and they were like, oh, she kicked his ass. And you're like, you were never, it doesn't matter what you think. It and doesn't. what you need to be trying to do if you want to think about this and its impact is think about how what she did came across to people who don't agree with you and aren't already on board. And the same thing with him. And and you're sitting there cheering that she's saying things you wanted to hear her say. It's like, that's that doesn't matter. Like, were, were you, Was she going to lose you if she did a bad job tonight? Were you actually thinking about voting for Trump? Cause <laughs> that's an amazing point, Josh, because that's another thing. Let's be clear for the most part your mind is already made up most of the people it is very rare that a yeah. debate will totally sway somebody from voting the way that they were already going to vote or liking or disliking yeah one of the two people because they already came in with a preconceived notion for the most part there's some outliers but it's very rare yeah well and that's because when hw uh, bush when he when he declared for president to run against Reagan, uh, it was in, I believe, March or April. And then the election was in November. Now you do it a year and a half before. Right. So the debates happen when everybody knows everything. Everybody hates everybody else. And then and that's now the debates are happening at different times. We're actually not finding anything out about the candidates yep. at all. But, and, and we all, it's people forget this. There's so much insane stuff has happened. So much absolute insanity has happened. It, it all blows my mind. It's like, but you know, the, the, what was it? The, the, the Trump Bush or the, um, the Trump Biden debate, the Democratic candidate's head exploded on national TV. His eyes started bleeding in the middle of the debate. <laughs> and yeah. it barely got mentioned. Now, I, I'm yeah. not saying that That's, has anything to do with his, his viability, but it's like, what is going on here? You, you guys aren't a little bit worried that your candidate is just sort of like popping blood vessels from, you know, or, or what he said. Well, I mean, not like that, just, but you bring up, you bring up sitting in a room with people that are on your you know side. Like when Biden debated Bernie, I'm, I'm in my fifties. I have never seen anyone lie that much during a debate as mm -hmm. Joe Biden did in my life. Mm -hmm. In my lifetime, and I guess they expect us to forget that and go on, but I will never forget that, and it always make me think less of them, because that yeah. was grotesque. And you could see it yeah. on Sanders' face. He was like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Like, it was a lie festival. Because, you know, Senator Sanders has such integrity in that space, and he has been, you know, for the most part, and nobody's perfect, but he's been very consistent his record and his positions have been very consistent over four maybe almost five decades now and so to have to go up against people who don't have that same level of integrity it's hard for somebody like him even in the 2016 debates about the emails when he said enough about your damn emails yeah. That was not what the senator was supposed to say I could tell you somebody I'm who sure. <laughs> many a debate prep Okay, but I think also what he meant, but it didn't come out. He wasn't trying to necessarily let her off the hook about the emails as much as he was saying, people need health care. People yeah. need to be paid better wages. We don't want to deal with this 
this soap opera here about your emails but it didn't it didn't land that way it landed as yeah. if he was giving her a pass for the emails and yeah. that certainly was not his intention yeah. he didn't want to deal wanna, with that he wanted to always deal with the issues i want to go back to the thing about uh we're talking about how how prepared they are because that's another crazy thing about these because yeah. all things we're talking about everything we're saying is like wouldn't it be nice if someone were just able to go off extemporaneously if someone were able to just hear what someone said and then respond to them but it's so over prepared yes. um, axelrod tells this interesting story about the the palin biden debates where uh, they had Jennifer Granholm, who was the governor of Michigan. I guess I didn't realize she'd been an actress, had her play Sarah Palin. And apparently she got seriously into the part, did a deep dive into her. So she had all of her cadences and knew how everything she was going to say. And apparently she did an incredible job. So Biden was up there and, and it was really helpful to have had this real performance of this real character. But, but then he drops this weirdness. And I want to ask you about this uh, here we go. The key to preparing for a debate is that there are as few surprises as possible when you step on that platform. We created, you probably did too, we actually recreated uh, for our debate prep, both elections, the, the set, replicas of the set, same color, same furniture, same everything, so that when our candidates stepped out on the stage, that they were familiar uh, with the setting. The more you can reduce the imponderables, you have to be prepared for those, but the more that you can make it predictable and familiar, your candidate's going to perform well. The How much did that cost? A. That's what I thought, B. too. How much did that cost? Did, did you guys do that? I'm sure you thought. Yeah. Hell yeah. well, no. <laughs> was well, it ever? No, I, I can't no. imagine. But was it ever? Was there anybody there going, we should do this? No, first of all, he wouldn't have stood for that. That is not how he rolls. Absolutely not. That, that's like a, a complete, or like a photo replica of my opponent on the other side. Who? It's so no. bizarre. What is wrong I with this know. guy that he can't walk into a room and Hel debate with someone yeah. if he hasn't been in an exact hasn't replica of that room? room. Yeah, that, when I heard, I mean, that's that's a lot over the top. Not a bit. A lot over the top. That's an expense. You know, I came up working art department on movies, building sets. It's like that that costs you money. That takes people to come in and do all you know, that's so weird. Did they you have know, a fake audience there? Who cares? You know? It's For so them. bizarre. That was the strangest thing I think I heard. It's also story. it doesn't it doesn't seem helpful to me from the way they think it is. I think it is I don't know why that would be helpful, honestly, from from like I speak on stage, but it's got nothing to do yeah. with the stages I'm on. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. And Just I can even see why somebody, because Sarah Palin was such a she was a unique presence in politics at the time, and having somebody, especially if you're an old school politician, like we're going to throw you up here with somebody, you know, they're not acting like her; they're just acting aberrant and bizarre, would be helpful. You, you're going to have to you're going to have to do some dancing on this one because she's weird. I can see how that would be helpful. Yeah, uh, that but, part definitely having somebody yeah participate in the debate, like trying to create the moments but not the set no <laughs> i also think bernie bernie has an advantage too because as we said it's just he always just says the same goddamn thing over and over again he does. so what does he what does he need a set for and, and you know yeah. you know that saying if you tell the truth you don't have to remember what you said so exactly he's exactly consistent. yeah but it is a weird thing i mean I've been, I've been in situations where you're standing on a stage and somebody throws a real curveball at you and and i'm not a comedian i'm not i'm not dave anthony you know i don't and it's it's been baffling to me i've sat there like a deer in the headlights
Well, that's why I have for a while, ever since Trump came into the picture, thought we should be running. Like Al Franken would annihilate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, Al Franken comedian. would annihilate a Trump or a DeSantis. Like he, comedians have a way of just getting in there. And that's apparently what people want now. Like no one's doing this for politics anymore. It's just to get, get your game. So, I mean, comedians are, it's a place people should be looking, public speakers is where maybe we should be looking. If we're not going to get anybody of substance, then just go all the way. No, I'm saying more, even more comedians, because you have to have that. I mean, it's still astonishing. It's the second time it's come up. But the the fact that within two seconds after, you know, Will Smith smacked him on national TV at at the Oscars, Chris Rock made a joke. (laughs) That's, That's a skill that even just being a great public speaker doesn't give you. That's... You, right. have to, you have to come up in, a, in an arena where people are throwing bottles at you regularly, and that's comedy clubs. <laughs> yeah, um, that that's actually the 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 hardest thing of watching a debate for me, and, and even the all the clips they took out here is I would I, my mind is just like I would just immediately say that, and like yeah. I would immediately you can you, the, all those moments you can you can come back and take and take the person on. You don't have to sit there and take it and and let the audience ooh and ah or cheer and then move on, you could have your own comment. But these aren't people who are skilled at that because it goes back to no one's debating like it was in the 1800s. You know, it's not like Lincoln. Sure. And then shall we get to the Reagan moment? Because what's interesting to me is that it's Axelrod telling this story and not Karl Rove. And I just keep... When, when did this happen? When, when did Democrats just decide that we're just going to go along with the Reagan was a great president? You Bullshit. know when? How old is Axelrod? Uh, I don't know. He was five when he saw Kennedy talking. So, Okay, so he is, he is, yes, he's 67. So he is the exact age of a politician who came up under the Reagan revolution and they have all never gotten rid of that fear of the right wing of being dominated by a politician but they Obama's don't younger. know anything he, else he cites him as i know obama's person. younger but we're talking about axelrod that's yeah. why he brings it up obama's different i think but axelrod they do like they think what reagan did was very impressive they also weren't that upset with his ideas i mean a lot of these people yeah. voted for him you know that was my thing about elizabeth warren it was very clear she always voted for reagan uh, yeah. And she was a Reagan Democrat. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I was I was old enough back then to know that I hated Reagan's guts. I was 13 when I got in trouble for maybe saying something positive about a guy shooting him. And uh, <laughs> and I may have gotten in trouble in school. Uh, so th- there were those of us who were uh, human beings then and know exactly yeah. how bad Reagan was. And if you were ever on Reagan's side, you're not on my side about anything yeah. unless you had some crazy switch. But she hasn't. So a lot of these people like Axelrod just grew up in that. Uh, it's, it's a very hard era to explain if you weren't living in it, because the way it it's not just that they ran the show. It's that they it was almost like Democrats were trained like almost like dogs who had been beaten and they were trained to behave a certain way. And sure, there were the tip of nails and some, but all those young people came out of it with this belief that they always had to react to the right wing and not to attack yeah. the right wing. 
And the no. right wing are reactionaries, so you should be attacking them. Let's let's play his Reagan story because um, it's it's almost it's Rovian in the way he sort of leaves things out of this. That debate was an incredible opportunity for Ronald Reagan, who was viewed widely uh, among some of these swing voters as a guy they might want to vote for because they were unhappy with Carter, but they didn't know if he was too extreme. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he came on with that affable, avuncular style uh, and really allayed people's concerns. Governor Reagan, again, typically is against such a proposal. Governor, there you go again. When I opposed Medicare, there was another piece of legislation meeting the same problem before the Congress. I happened to favor the other piece of legislation and thought that it would be better for the senior citizens and provide better care than the one that was finally passed. I was not opposing the principle of providing care for them. I was opposing one piece of legislation as versus another. Whether Carter had a chance to win that election or not, the thing moved away very rapidly from him yeah. uh, after that one. Uh, so was it just... I mean, it didn't move from him just because of this debate. You know, they're all caught right. up in this bubble and they think the debate swayed it. And as far as Reagan has skills, I mean, he was an actor for God's sakes. So he knows what how yeah. to be very <laughs> agile and, and quick on his feet. And then just listening to Axelrod, it's it almost like a bromance going on as he was. <laughs> 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 Just, yeah, he. I I think he is a, a campaign guy. Is amazed at Reagan, like he yeah, probably thinks Reagan is the ultimate candidate. It's genuine, you know. And I'm not trying to hate on that. If that's how he feels, that's how he feels. But I certainly got but the feel. That's demented. It is demented. Uh, that's it's demented. demented. Like, look. First of all, story, everything Reagan said like, there, lie. Yeah. That's all. He well, just I'm going to get into that in a minute. But there's a difference. Like apparently, Bruce Springsteen and Prince used to hang out at each other's shows. Apparently, they could never find the kind of music that they could connect and rake together. But they would hang out backstage at each other's shows and marvel at what the other guy was doing. That's that great. Sense. You're musicians. There's mm -hmm. no one of them isn't up there on stage killing children. Right. <laughs> you know, he's singing "Purple Rain." And and he's acting like he's just watching some great guitar player shredding. It's like that's deadly. I don't but get that. And then, yeah. So first of all, here's here's yeah, I'm going to dug this up. Let's 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 have all of what Carter was saying that Reagan's like scoffing at first. Like, I've got two great clips here. Governor Reagan, as a matter of fact, began his political career campaigning around this nation against Medicare. Now we have an opportunity to move toward national health insurance with an emphasis on the prevention of disease, an emphasis on outpatient care, not inpatient care an emphasis on hospital cost containment to hold down the cost of hospital care for those who are ill, an emphasis on catastrophic health insurance so that if a family is threatened with being wiped out economically because of, very, of a very high uh, medical bill, then the insurance would help pay for it. These are the kind of elements of a national health insurance important to the American people. Governor Reagan, again, typically is against such a proposal. Governor, there you go again. So he's he's accusing him of lying. That that what Carter said is Reagan began his career, his political career. This is what he's talking about. This is the opening 
Do you know about well, US two, Open? There's two there's things. There's a smoking there. hot record, an LP record from yes, 1961. Yes. Titled Ronald Reagan Speaks Out Against Socialized Medicine. And here's the first couple right. seconds of it. Back in 1927, an American socialist, Norman Thomas, six times candidate for president on the Socialist Party ticket, said the American people would never vote for socialism. But he said under the name of liberalism, the American people will adopt every fragment of the socialist program. There are many ways in which our government has invaded the precincts of private citizens, the uh, method of earning a living. Our government is in business to the extent of owning more than 19,000 businesses covering 47 different lines of activity. This amounts to a fifth of the total industrial capacity of the United States. But at the moment, I'd like to talk about another way because this threat is with us and at the moment is more imminent. One of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical program as a humanitarian project. Most people are a little reluctant to oppose anything that suggests medical care for people who possibly can't afford it. Now, the American people, if you put it to them about socialized medicine and gave them a chance to choose, would unhesitatingly vote against it. Pretty, pretty sure that's not true. But let's be clear. Reagan's comeback, there you go again. It may have been funny and memorable, but he was fucking lying. That's exactly how he started his political career. Right. And I understand he... why Karl Rove is sitting there while Axelrod's telling the story and not bringing this up. But you think Axelrod might have mentioned. And in fact, it would even go to what you're doing, what you're doing with this class. It's like, it's worth noting that while that comeback was clever and had an impact... He was lying. Lying. But they don't Straight care, up. right? That's not that's not part of this equation. Also, I mean, pretty much agrees anybody, with Reagan about medical health insurance. Any, no. Anybody of Axelrod's stature knows that Reagan put out a, an actual record to be distributed around the country for it was mainly aimed at housewives. I mean, that's what it was. Let's get these housewives on board. Um, the other thing that you're leaving out is that Carter, during these debates, was very sort of grim-faced, too serious. And so when he said, there you go again, it was a double attack. It was, oh, you're lying, and also you're not being, you're not the fun guy. You're not the jovial old man. You're a jerk. So it was a double-pronged sort of thing. And I think that's why Axelrod probably loves that moment, even though it was done in the name of evil. For the I got you is it's the antithesis of what they said that people yeah. watched it. No, it was an I got you moment. It was very clever. It was it was good for Reagan and what he was trying to accomplish. And it is a shame that you got two Republicans uh, telling this story. Yeah. Or, yeah. or or a Republican Might as well. person telling the story. A Republican and a, and a Reagan Democrat. Right, and a Reagan Democrat. It's, it's, that man. Yeah, it also comes back to, you know, the the Democratic Party had a battle for their soul in the 70s, just like the Republicans did. And, you know, Jimmy Carter was the moderate moderate one who won out over the left wing again. And now you have a candidate that's incapable of actually debating well on a stage and just saying that guy's lying or whatever else you need to do. It's there. It, it's they're incapable of it because they're afraid of offending too many people. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Dave, to your point, just too much of a damn gentleman on that stage to call yes. that man a liar. Carter knew he was lying, you know, because yeah. what, mm-hmm. what, what he laid out there was so strong. I mean, his, his, the message he was giving, this is a man, this is a governor, was strong. But he didn't come back on him. He didn't do a counterpunch right. on him. That was the failure, not the counterpunches behind. Yeah, and he should. He, 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 after what he had done in California, he is very counterpunchable. You should have ended the man. He isn't a good candidate. He is a monster. He had protesters killed. Yeah, they had secret yeah. meetings to lock up black people for being black. Yep. He dismantled our hospital system, our mental health care system. Free the free colleges, all of that. He did everything that he was going to do. He did the country later on. He did it all in California. So you could have just been, look at what he's done. And then you just let him say stuff like that. And you, and you oh, oh, he got me. I, I, the gotcha thing I just can't handle. Yeah. As a comedian, it just makes me want to scream. Like, what? that shouldn't be the end of it. No, not at all. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news events and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. I want to get into this next thing, too, because it's, uh, it's... Let's talk about Jeremiah Wright. <laughs> Oh, you do a boy. section on coming out of a crisis masterfully. So it's the 2008 Democratic primary. And Axrod says that uh, uh, candidate Obama wanted to do a speech on race, and they, they talked him out of it uh, frequently because they felt like, and I tend to agree, and I, I think we've even discussed this earlier, I think, I think it was smart on his part. He, Barack Obama did not have to stand up on stage and go, by the way, I'm an African-American. Um, his existence on that stage was such a powerful statement that it, it, it would have mitigated it, which I think is a lesson that, that Hillary should have learned. Um, but uh, Obama was, was fixed on this, but they kept talking him down. Eventually he gets his excuse, but uh, it, it comes the hard way. Um, this is uh, the beginning of the Jeremiah Wright situation. And then this tape surfaced, this mash of some incendiary comments that his pastor had made, and we had stressed his um, his his Christianity for a reason, because there were all of these um, suggestions that he was a Muslim, which is shouldn't be a uh, a negative, but in you know in the politics of our time, it's used that way, and uh, so we stressed his his membership in the Trinity uh, United Church of Christ, and um, this was a, a big, and it was very important to him. Um, and then this, this reel was dropped on someone, perhaps it was developed by the news media, perhaps by an opposition, uh, researcher, but it surfaced in the spring of 2000, 
and eight, and it was like a greatest hits reel of the most incendiary things that Reverend Wright, the pastor of his church, had said over 30 years. And where they got it was from um, CDs that were sold at the church of Reverend Wright's uh, very powerful sermons. But this created a brush fire because it caused people to say, um, can, a, can a black man actually win? Uh, it really, you know, we, we had worked hard to, to, to build this foundation that was very broad, and uh, our opponents were trying to throw us back and turn us into a niche candidate and impute to Obama some of the things that Reverend uh, Wright had said that he plainly didn't agree with. And then this... It's interesting that he goes out of his way not to mention who the other opponent was, his fellow master class instructor, uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Who, I, I love that line. Perhaps by an opposition researcher. Right, just <laughs> As tell opposed the truth, to, man. Tell, yeah, tell, tell the truth. Yes. But it's, it's amazing to me. What offended me the most by what Axelrod just said is that when he said they're trying to paint our candidate as a niche candidate or something to that effect. So being black yeah. is now a niche. Excuse <laughs> me. It's, I mean, just the, to me, the, the two greatest leaders of the 20th century that, you know, were not politicians, but, you know, Reverend, uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and also Minister Malcolm X. And they really laid out the mindset of a liberal white and the biggest threat, you know, the, the, the Axelrod is that, I mean, to not know how to not deal with, but, but having, having hindsight and you still telling the story like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the, we tried very hard to make sure that our candidate, what man, yeah, would it be hard for a black person to run? Yes, because many black people before President Barack Obama attempted, like they paved the way for him to, you know, Shirley, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm comes to mind. Certainly Reverend Jesse Jackson comes to mind. Yep. You know, Reverend Al Sharpton, there were lots of, Carol Mosley Braun, there were lots of black people who made the attempt. But for him to be so, he, he absorbed and he thinks he's saying something so magnificent, it's quite insulting. To me, I mean, that I, I just I couldn't even really deal with more of the master class because he said that and it got me. I had to, <laughs> I had to go collect myself. It's, it's just so. Yeah. It's and, so, and, like and, you said, tell the truth. It was the Clinton campaign that dropped that bomb on y'all. Yes. And it's well, purely racist because how many horrible white shit have have white preachers said? Like, there's no more yes. demon talk than a white yeah. preacher. You want to go to, I mean, my God, Falwell and those guys? What are you Him, talking yes. about? It's so blatantly racist, and it's coming out of the Clinton campaign, as everything racist did in so, that campaign. So, so white candidates are not niched, but black candidates are. Man, do you hear right. yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, yeah. we we got some great quotes too from Hillary at the time. Uh, these are and, and there's this is getting, <laughs> this stuff's boggling. Hillary said, uh, uh, she said, you don't choose your family, but you choose what church you want to attend. Uh, she also said, for Pastor Wright to have given his first sermon after 9/11 and to have blamed the United States for the attack, which happened in my city of New York, which I moved to a year or two before, 
would have been just in time. <laughs> I changed that a little bit. But it's like now she's playing the nine eleven thing. It's like God. But here's what's here's what's crazy. John McCain, who and I think Senator Turner, I think your feelings about him are a little softer than Dave and I. That's but but so take take this from someone who really really despised John McCain. Got to give it to him. John McCain said, <laughs> "I think that when people support you, it doesn't mean that you support everything they say." Obviously, those words and those statements are statements that none of us would associate ourselves with, and I don't believe that Senator Obama would support any of those as well. Now, I don't want to get too misty about John McCain. I mean, I think I think that was a smart thing to do. I thought he thought Hillary was inevitable, and this allowed him to basically attack her from the left. Great, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, a broke clock is right twice a day. That's my grandma yeah. say. And so yeah. in this case, we don't have to be in love with John McCain, but he was absolutely, yep. he utilized this very effectively. And then yeah. can I just go back a little bit? The fact that yeah. the black community, just this whole, <laughs> what they did, yeah. the Clinton, what they did to Barack Obama, I mean, seriously, black community, really. It's, it's, but it's not, there's a the thing with just liberals in general, that there's just no memory. It just, everything disappears after five minutes. Because, yeah, I remember, like, kind of having that same thing. Like, watching people, watching Hillary Clinton try to paint herself as, you know, a friend of the black community, and then watching people in that community go for it. Yeah. Like, I mean, do like you know how much nobody super, remembers anything? Super predator. Oh, Dave, that's 30 years. We're talking super We're talking eight predator. years here. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I do you mean, know how much grief I still catch to this day from them Clinton bots over supporting Senator Bernard Sanders. And 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 y'all got nerves after all this woman has maybe you didn't know all of that stuff. I mean, because certainly Bill Clinton has a magnetism that they yes. definitely cause people to fall in love with him. He is gifted in that way. Yes. And I was much, much younger then and didn't understand all the dynamics. But once I came into the knowledge, there's a quote by Muhammad Ali that says that if, if at the age of 50, I'm still thinking like I was at 20, I'm paraphrasing him, but something is wrong. And yes. I say that to say that as people evolve, sometimes people see the light a lot younger. So Dave, you saw the light about Reagan at the age of 13 and Axelrod, you know, fell in love with JFK at the age of five. Listen, God bless y'all both. And some people see the light a little later, but once you yeah. see the light, you cannot unknow what you now know. And the fact that so many uh, especially the gatekeepers in the black community continue to pound on this and say, let it go. I don't know if you guys remember when this black activist, she was a young lady, she must have been in her 20s, and they paid the money to, for her to get into a fundraiser, and she held this sign up. Yeah. About yeah. the super predators. You know, and they ushered her out, and Clinton talked down to her and all of that. And what did the black community, some in the black community did? Chastised this, girl, this, this young woman. Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying, hey, but this is your record, baby. I yeah. said this when Hillary, uh, I said this twice. I said this to at a table with Josh and an ex-friend of ours, uh, a woman, writer in Hollywood, who was a Clinton supporter. And I said this in 2008. Well, I said this after 2008, actually. And she said, why would you not vote for Hillary Clinton? And I said, because nobody tears apart the left more than a Clinton. 
nobody destroys nobody destroys more than a Clinton. Nobody. There's no comparison in American politics in my lifetime of what a Clinton does to the Democratic Party and everybody to the left of Republicans. And that's why you should not want a Clinton anywhere near a microphone, ever. And that was right, because that's what they do. Yeah. You saw it in 2008, and man, was it worse in 2016. Because in 2016, she was bitter about 2008. Bitter. <clears throat> yeah. There it is. Well, also, the, uh, the, uh, there, was, there had to have been this moment, you know, the it's happening again moment. Um, with you know it's like yeah for guy sure comes, guy comes out of nowhere who shouldn't have a chance cleans my clock and then all of a sudden oh no come on old jewish guy now <laughs> oh, old jewish guy <clears throat> gotta be kidding me it's not fair like i on a human level i could write that character you yeah. know but but um uh you, you gotta have yeah, your rock you're moment. one of the yeah. most privileged human beings yeah. on the planet i'm sorry Correct. Yeah. Because big Correct. mama. I'm saying you got to you got to find that rocky moment. You got to you got to go back to the streets. You got to start pounding meat and running 30 miles, and you got to earn it all from the ground up. That's it. That's, That's right. all. I'm sorry. <clears throat> and um, uh, yeah, she didn't do that. But there's also that thing with them. It's so many Democrats, but with Clinton, where I really noticed it first. And again, it's, it could be an age thing too. But you know, he talked such a game. But there's a great Thomas Frank piece. Thomas Frank pointed out that that and, and it's true that like. Clinton's greatest presidential accomplishments. Mm. NAFTA, the crime bill, well, the biggest, welfare reform, deregulation of banks and telecoms, and the balanced budget were all longstanding Republican goals, every last right. one of them. And we were told over and over again that the only way for, for Democrats to win was for them to embrace this agenda. And it was like, and then when that happened and when he won, you were told, see, we were right. That's the only way they, that we could have won. And people accept that as axiomatic somehow, that like, if you say that the thing you're doing is the only way for it to work, and then it works, that doesn't mean it's the only way for it to work, it just means that that one worked. But Democrats have accepted that because the Clinton strategy worked, there's no other way. You always have to go to the right, you always right. have to just, the only way to beat Republicans is to become them. Yeah. And, oh God, and I, and I remember that became pretty clear into his first term, I mean, I. The last time I voted for Clinton was 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 nineteen ninety or whatever ninety two when he ran, um, and Look, uh, that's not true actually. No, I take it back because I did. I, I I fell for it. I did, even though I lived in California. It didn't matter. Uh, I believe I voted for Hillary. I even did a little help with their campaign because uh, I was like, Trump is so friggin' awful. I've told you the story. Yeah, but but it was painful. I felt I felt. <laughs> I, I felt cheap and shabby and used. I felt like I was just betraying myself, you know? Can <laughs> I a, uh, can I give you an example of why they're wrong? Can I just like break down why they're wrong about this is the way you're supposed to do things? Yeah. Okay, this is why. Uh, control of Congress, uh, of the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. 19, starting in 1953. Republicans, 
55, Democrats 57, Democrats 59, Democrats 61, Democrats 63, Democrats 65, Democrats 67, Democrats 69, Democrats 71, Democrats 73, Democrats 75, Democrats 77, Democrats 79, Democrats 81, Democrats 83, Democrats 85, Democrats 87, Democrats 89, Democrats 91, Democrats. I see this punchline coming a mile away. 93, Democrats 95, Republicans. 1995 Republicans. That's the Clinton way. You betrayed the base. You betrayed the Democratic Party. And that's why our that's why there's a flip-flop every year because of the Clintons. That's why the House flip-flops every year now at a midterm because of the Clintons. It's the wrong way. A hundred percent. No, for sure. The wrong way. Yeah. Anyway, um, just this whole conversation got me so stressed out. I'm sitting up here over drinking on grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> is that grape juice or is it grape juice in quotation marks? It's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm overdoing it. Baby. I'm getting the sugar rush of a lifetime. I'm so stressed out over this conversation. But they driving me to reach for the Welch's grape juice. I tell you. <laughs> the last thing I want to say about the the Jeremiah Red, the Reverend Wright thing is is I mean Obama then got to do a speech on race and it was great. But what yeah, what actually really kind of leaves good. out? I mean it did the trick, but it didn't have to do much. It just had to reach liberals. It just had to tell liberals that he was a violent. And he candidate. was okay. He was acceptable. This is That's an acceptable. Right. Black yeah. Man. And by the way, what a great way to do it. But then with a soaring speech because the the liberals, it's like it's it's rhetoric. It's beautiful rhetoric about race and it made them feel good. So of course it worked. He leaves out all the stuff where Obama just completely threw Reverend Wright under a bus, which yep, played a large yep. part in his success. But that would mean acknowledging the cold cynicism of a political campaign, which I, that stuff happens. You're going to have to do things you don't like to do. I don't necessarily hold that up as, as proof that Obama's a monster, but you're going to have to acknowledge that sometimes in running a presidential campaign, you have to do things that are difficult and unpleasant. That's right. And he had an opportunity to, and he, and he doesn't talk about that. There's a way to talk about that that doesn't make Obama look bad, I think. Um, it was a really gross really... Uh, thing. But again, you know, the racist things were coming out of the Clinton campaign. But it's, it, makes, it puts you in a really tough choice because they were really throwing it out there. I'm like, I mean, she said he might get shot. Like, you know, and look, yeah. 25% of her people, 25, I don't know if people remember this, 25% of Hillary voters Record did number. not vote for him. And That's there were right. people like, you know, Greg Proops was a friend of mine, and he spent the next eight years of Obama calling him the black Jesus, like mocking him, because he was always a Hillary supporter. He never got over yeah. it. They never got over it. They liked him for what he was, but they were still mad. They were always No, mad. it was more than that. It was, it was a quarter of them voted for McCain. And yeah, it. they voted for That's McCain. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. Then there were ones who Ooh. dropped out. Yeah, Ooh. that number was astonishing. It was ahistorical. And they loved to throw the fact that some Bernie's Support right. voted for Trump. Oh my god! Which happens in every election, every election ever. There's a percentage, and I can't remember the numbers. I but it's like, it, and, and the Bernie voters were well within the range of normality. They Always were going to happen. More Sanders voters voted for her than her voters voted for Obama. Okay, let's just be yes. clear. But but her the the, the transfer of Clinton voters to McCain and Sarah Palin was yeah. was atypical and ahistorical because they were like i mean just basically hey we didn't win let's burn the house down that's how they felt and but yet you want to talk about bernie bros give me a break well yeah they they didn't want to vote for a black guy no absolutely sorry 
That's that absolutely a fact. I'm sorry. Uh, Car Rove is a fun story here. Do you know what the Birch thing, Dave? Or because I've got some uh, fun info here. We'll, we'll uh, oh, it, so. is he Birch? Is he a Birch guy? No, this guy Birch didn't hear. So let's oh, let's play oh. the Car Rove story. Uh, we're now into the uh, how you identify and use influencers in your campaign. Now, one other note: be careful. Be careful. Do your homework to make certain you don't get endorsed by somebody who's an embarrassment to you. And even if they won't embarrass you, be careful how you then deploy them. South Carolina in 2000. We had an a outstanding local veteran, very prominent in the South Carolina veterans community, very active in, in veterans affairs, and, and a good guy, well-meaning. And we gave him a chance to, to introduce Governor Bush of Texas at an event, featuring other veterans, including a number of Medal of Honor recipients. And the guy got up, and we hadn't paid enough attention, wrote his own introduction, and proceeded to spend about five minutes slamming John McCain before he introduced George W. Bush. And it was dreadful. And we could have avoided it by simply saying, okay, appreciate your endorsement, let's talk about what you wanna say, and let's agree on a script. And instead, we dropped the ball, and it took us days to, to uh, apologize for it and, and get it behind us. So guess what? He's leaving out a lot, and he's lying a lot. <laughs> oh God! It's, what? Uh, it, it's a it's a. I, I did not know this story at all, and it's um, it's pretty interesting. Isn't it always with Carl Rove? His little demon hands yeah. touching stuff. Yeah, I want to do. Um, I want to write a TV show about him. I think he'd be a fun character. I think he'd be a fun character. So, yeah, at the rally, J. Thomas Birch, who was chairman of the National Vietnam and Gulf War uh, Veterans Coalition, um, went off on McCain, um, said he was basically, a, you know, an, an enemy to veterans uh, for all kinds of reasons. And this guy was big in the MIA movement and so forth. Um, but it was a lot of, like, crazy conspiracy right-wing gibberish. I mean, right-wing compared to, like, the, the George W. Bush and John McCain way of the party. But Bush didn't apologize, and he didn't reject anything that the guy said about McCain. Um, he said, hey, you need to ask them, the leaders of, of, of veterans groups, what I stand by is that they've looked at both of us, and they've chosen me to be the nominee. I'm proud of that. Um, he did say he thinks uh, John McCain served our country well. He was a warrior on behalf of America, but he did not walk away from this guy, in spite of what Carl Rose said, nor did he apologize. Rose says, it took us a couple days to apologize. No. Um, <laughs> That's five senators, five big senators, uh, uh, came to Bush and, and demanded that he change his stance on this. Um, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> allegations were made against McCain, um, Max Cleland of Georgia, Bob Kerry of Nebraska, John Kerry of Massachusetts, Charles Robb, uh, all Democrats, and Chuck Hagel of Nebraska, a Republican. Um, also, the allegations about him are false. Uh, and um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Uh, it went on. Uh, Mr. Birch was a leading critic of President Reagan's and your father's policies on POW MIA issues. And he vehemently opposed a historic effort led by the Senate Select Committee on POW MIA Affairs carried out on a bipartisan basis, which resulted in the declassification of millions of documents and the identification return to the United States of the remains of hundreds of American servicemen who were missing in action. 
So when it came to sort of veteran affairs, this guy stunk on ice. The senators wrote, we hope you will publicly disassociate yourself from this guy and apologize to McCain. Bush refused to <laughs> for a very long time. More politicians, more POWs wrote to him. Bush basically wow. said, this guy's entitled to his opinion. Think about if Obama had said that about Reverend Wright. Hey. Right. Right. Yeah. You better say so, that. Entitled to his opinion. Oh, really? You're going to say that uh, that uh, things America did led to 9-11? You're entitled to that opinion, I would argue. Um, but he did not. Uh, it doesn't seem that he ever denounced this guy. There's, there's no <laughs> evidence that he did. Um, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, when this was happening, McCain had an 18 point lead over Bush. Um, but, uh, they ran a bunch of ads, uh, accusing McCain of all sorts of horrible things. Um, and let's see the, the best part, uh, was because McCain was getting angry at all the negative ads Bush was running against him. Um, McCain was now perceived as being angry and being negative, yeah. which is another yeah, that, weird well, that, thing that happens. That's I can, the key that that also blows my mind. Yeah. Get him angry. Yeah, it actually is. Yeah, you get him mad. And this was yeah. also at the time you want to get him mad. This was when all those rumors, which I'm sure Carl Rove had nothing to do with people calling into radio shows that he had yeah. fathered an illegitimate North Vietnamese child. He got special treatments as a POW. He had an illegitimate black daughter. He'd voted for tax increases. His wife stole drugs. He was gay, pro-abortion and left his crippled first wife. People recalled yeah. it as unrelenting. They went um, nuclear. Fun fact that McCain's campaign guy was John Weaver, uh, the same consultant Rove had smeared on another project uh, as gay years before, who did, to be fair, turn out to be gay and a very creepy individual when he had to leave the Lincoln Project, which he had co-founded. Oh, that's right. Recall. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Birch himself um, in 2018 was sentenced to a few years in prison for embezzlement. So that's the guy Carl Rove said was a good guy and well-meaning, but he just hadn't vetted properly. You know, <laughs> another saying from my grandmother, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. But, but again, isn't the problem that, you know, Axelrod has befriended this monster and now that helps the monster fix the monster's image. I mean, that's what we're talking about because he doesn't want to sit there and go, no, that's not right, Carl. Because Carl's his buddy now. So Carl gets to say terrible, terrible. He just gets to all the terrible stuff that he did. He just gets to whitewash away, which is what yeah. Bush does when they hug him at, you know, events and funerals and whatever else. Well, it's the right. same thing that's happening for Mike Pence right now with his book, God or whatever the hell. You know, now he's revealing how bad Trump is man you knew that when you was with the man in the white house but yeah. you didn't have the intestinal yeah. fortitude to say it now it's the same thing with liz cheney the exact same thing she bumps up against trump she woman you voted 90 over 90 percent of the time with the man almost 100 percent of the time with the man you were against the john lewis voting rights act give me a break so the same thing in this in this moment with this master class with axelrod it's happening right now with people out mm -hmm. there in, you know, in, in the real world right now, the Pences and the Liz Cheney's of the world. 
they get to whitewash or change their history to shed the monster clothes. But here's, here's my question, because it is an interesting dynamic where in doing this, Carl Rove just gets to cackle like a maniac and he comes out the better for it. He's not only getting paid, he's getting whitewashed. He's getting embraced by people who should be wanting to burn him at a stake. What, what is Axelrod getting out of this? Is he just a wimp? No, he's getting, well, he's getting money. But I doubt he, doubt he needs it, but he's getting money. Not but that I do much. think. I do oh, think no, he's, no, but he's got, he's got to pay. His, his, his drug payments just went up, remember, on the... Um, we talked about this. His health insurance changed. Yeah. You're not um, right, Jack. You're not right. I think he wants to be in front of the cameras. And I think when you're behind the camera, especially behind a charismatic person like Barack Obama, you want a little bit of credit and to be out front. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, but. Absolutely. He's enjoying what he's doing. I mean, this is giving him some weasel? satisfaction. <laughs> being a weasel? He doesn't think he's being a weasel. He doesn't. This is who they are. It's like Nina said exactly. in the very first episode. They go to school together. They their kids go to school together. They hang out together. It's, it's the same club. It's, it's, it's the same it's club. The same club. Just, yeah. are we are... Too we many are, sociopaths in the world. Their politics yeah. are closer together than our politics are to theirs. That's that is correct. Right. It's really an illusion, and I hate to pierce the veil here, but these people are pretty much the same. Now... Yeah, no, I'm not even going to put a... Yeah, they're pretty much the same. They may do Here's things... Here's a question. Have you, yeah. have, have you gotten to know like any of your counterparts from other campaigns, like people you opposed well enough to like go have dinner with and yak it up? Like, were you... Is there anybody from the Biden campaign you were sort of like, yeah, they're okay? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> But here, here's what's interesting to me, is there are going to be people, even some people listening to this, because to me, not that, but to me, that's the only answer. That's got to be the only answer, because it was, it was a big deal. It wasn't like, it wasn't like we're talking about two candidates who are running on very similar platforms with mild disagreements. I'm, I'm, we've already heard you talk about people you have some of the disagreements with in, in, in good terms. It's, it's, there's such stark contrast in, in your candidate and, and say, Biden in between the people Axelrod worked for and people Rove worked for. And to me, it's like it's actually obscene that, that you would then be able to sort of put all that down and sit around and, and have a laugh. Because what is motivating you to do this? I mean, I, 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 I don't know. You know, we can see, we only see of your, your home there what you allow us to see, but I do not get the sense that, that um, I have not seen anybody uh, bring you a drink on a uh, on a plate. Um, I have not. Uh, there don't seem to be. Yeah, you don't seem to have. Bring your service to for this. Make sure you hide. Hide. No, but but I just it, it's just baffling. I get that there's a lot of people like that in politics. It seems like they're all like that. When somebody, I mean, your question about when somebody tries to kill you. Mm. I, you know, I'm I'm just Keep not going. in the mood <laughs> to have dinner with you because you just tried to knock me off, and that is pretty much that. That's what happened in the Sanders campaign. That's what happened in my congressional campaign. As I told you know, we we going through pandemics. All hell is breaking loose in the world and in this country. And President Joe Biden has a stack of papers on his desk 
is high as the day is long. And uh, on the top of that list is, oh, by the way, jump in the Ohio 11 congressional district race. So hell no. If somebody's trying to kill you, no, I don't want to have dinner with you. I don't want to see you. I ain't got nothing good to say about you other than you tried to kill me. That's it. Now, unless we have some coming to Jesus meeting, then I would have to just tell the whole world. The only reason why you see me standing next to this person is we had to come into Jesus meeting. But before that, because it got to be some explanation as to why I'm in this room with you. Yeah. When you tried yeah. to kill me. You, you just it's don't. Just, it's... No, no. Jesus turned the other cheek. Okay. You know, I had an elder. It just seems. Used to say. Councilwoman Fannie M. Lewis, the great Councilwoman Fannie M. Lewis from Ward 7, the Huff area in Cleveland. And she would tell people all the time, Jesus loves you and I'm trying to like you. <laughs> and that's that's pretty much how I'm rolling. Jesus is the one who loves you. I ain't yeah. got you. you what, there's a great Lyle, there's a great, there's a great Lyle love, love it song. I can't remember. It's like, who's, who's going to forgive you when you've done me wrong? Well, God will, but I won't. <laughs> And God, God does, but but I don't, and that's the difference between God and me. I'm only human. So no, I listen. I I, I went all around two, three blocks, Josh and Dave, just for that simple hell no. Yeah, it's and and I think we are the worse for it. That politics aren't more like that. That it's not personal for almost any of these people. And Josh and Dave, why do why, why is that saying this ain't personal? This politics, no, this is personal, and politics is being used as the lever. But no, this is very much personal. It's very, it's per, yeah. I mean, it's I personal. think that's that's the biggest problem with where the Democratic Party stands is they don't see how. I mean, look at the railroad strike, trying you know pushing the railroad workers to do this. And thing. get out you're my head. You're brutalizing. That's it. You're brutalizing people. You're brutalizing them. You're the party of betrayal. Do you think unions? I'm I'm in two unions. When you do that to other union members, I don't care what union they're in. It's offensive to me. That's it. I'm angry at you the way I would be if you did it to my own union. That's what being a union member is. And that's, that's what right. they can never comprehend. I said this exact same thing at a school board meeting recently. I had to say, stop treating the teachers like this because I'm a union member and it infuriates me. They don't get it because they're management. They don't get it. You're pissing us all off. Every one of us. As well as should. You know that, I mean, Dr. King certainly is one of the most quotable people on the planet forever. This is going to be forever. But when he said what affects one directly affects us all indirectly. So Dave, to your point, you're doing it to one unit. I just did that on my show today. Say every member of the House of Labor and even people who are not because labor lifts everybody, but they coming for the rail war, uh, the rail workers today. They coming for you tomorrow. Matter of fact, you yeah. ain't going to make it through yeah. the night. They coming for you. That is a, that was a warning sign to the Amazon workers. That's a warning sign. All the Starbucks, all the Starbucks workers, Apple, everybody doing that. That was is. a warning shot. That's a That's warning right. shot. Yeah. And what makes? And I mean, I remember reading. Yo, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. No, just, uh, the great Boots Riley uh, went went off on this the other day, and I, I'm reading this thread, and he's talking about uh, the, the you know what 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 could happen next, and the, the potential, maybe the need for a wildcat strike. Um, uh, and he got to a line and he said, look, uh, this kind of wildcat strike 
could be one that draws solidarity actions from other unions in the form of physically helping the strike line to keep scads, scabs out, blocking trains with trucks, buses, etc. And I'm sitting there reading that, and I'm like, oh, God, where am I going to have to go? It's like, I'm a union. <laughs> that's, that's the point of a union. That's one of the great things about it is that you don't just have your, your, your brothers and sisters on the line and in, the, in your union, but you have every other union out there as well. That's how it's supposed to work. And, and it's so insane to me to see Democrats doing something like this. And by the time this drops, hopefully that will have been resolved in a good way. I have no idea. But the fact that they would even think of saying we're going to come in and do this there's no version of strategy that makes sense of that. There None. are people who dropped out and will not come back because no matter Ever. what happens next, you're going to be doing it in response to their anger. And they're like, fuck it. That was it. That was the last moment. I'm you done cannot, with you. I don't care what you do. You cannot run. Votes. After this, you cannot run Biden again. And you That's cannot. It. After what he did yeah. to the unions, you That's cannot it. run him again. You, you cannot. tried to kill me. Okay. That's yeah. all they're going to say. Yeah. And my family. And that's what they're doing with this. That's it. These are people who want. These are people who want paid sick leave. These jobs are dangerous. They have an incredible high rate of of of, of illness, especially post during COVID. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And I just, God, I I, I lost a friend during during that election. A guy, a guy who's like you you don't you you don't know any working people. You don't respect oh. how much Joe Biden cares about working people. You oh. are the enemy now. And I I hope he's listening oh. to this because buddy, uh. you you jumped the wrong train. I forget my terrible <laughs> metaphor, but God damn it, man! That was I've never seen anything as cold and as naked as, as that announcement the other day. Come on. And and aside from that, my brain's all bifurcated. There's also part of me that's just like, what is wrong with you? And they're like, all right, it's politics. Forget morality. Then I go back to what is wrong with you? You're literally just telling people. And fuck then, you, fuck your votes. And then the mainstream media is trying to put this on the workers. I mean, you asking the head of these rail workers unions, well, Christmas is coming and you're about to throw the economy oh. into chaos. Hell no, we're not throwing the economy into chaos. Yeah, the companies rail bosses are throwing the economy into chaos. Are you kidding me? Why aren't you guys on yeah. my side one freaking day of sick leave? Really? In in 2001, the railroad companies, for every $100 in revenue, investors made $15. Last year, it was $41. They can afford it. They made record profits last year. There is no case that can be made. And I'm sorry, there's no worker in America right now that is like, yeah, I'm with the, I'm with the, the owners boss. of the yeah. railroad. Yeah. This is the, I mean, talk about a thing that goes back historically. Railroad barons is just a term that we use. <laughs> Railroads are always the bad guys. They always have been the bad guys. Nobody likes the railroads. It's, it's never used approvingly. Ever. <laughs> and it's just like, man. There are no this, movies about heroic railway barons. <laughs> I, I said this, I said this yesterday and I still kind of, I don't know how it plays out, but to me, this is. I think this is the greatest own goal I've ever seen from the Democratic Party. It's this is this is Reagan shit. Yeah, it yeah. is. But I'd argue not to make light of what Reagan did, but those were at least federal employees. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is do you guys do you guys know how many times that, that a president has nationalized the railroads to stop strikes, 
stop anything. I mean, it's like 15 times. Presidents have nationalized railroads on a temporary basis or in the case of Amtrak on a permanent basis over and over and over and over again. There is a very easy solution. You nationalize the railroads. You tell them to work it out. You tell them to yeah. give them a decent offer. It's very easy. It's been done many times. But now that we have little Reagan in office, that's not an option suddenly. But then they do the thing because they try to turn the workers against each other, which is always the way. First of all, it's like how what, what Nina was saying. It's like how the strike is going to affect other working people during during the holidays. And now they're also doing the thing where they start telling you well, how much these people are getting paid and what the offer is on the table with no context whatsoever, first of all. Right. So people are just going, hey, that's more than I make. And second, second, because they do this to us in the Writers Guild every time every we're time. up for our contract is up. They take the fact that some of us get paid very large sums of money. And the fact that all we do is we sit on our asses and we make up stories. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's all these rich little... And it's like, first of all, the, the overwhelming majority of the Writers Guild is not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. And second of all, it's about a fair return on your labor. It's, it's, they never want to talk about how much the studio is making off of your labor. They never right. want to compare those numbers. And, and it's like, so they just throw numbers at you because they know there are some people. It's the only thing I was pushing back on, Dave. There are going to be some, some workers who are going to go, oh, those guys are, no, they, they can't go on strike. They're fucking me. Because they're going to they're gonna hear that. They keep doing that. They, they, they talk about the negative impact of the strike on working people. And they tell you how much money these people It's divide are and conquer. And that does work. Yeah, yeah, it's straight up divide and conquer. You guys, you know, wrestle down here under the table for the crumbs and let the fat cats off the hook. And the fact that yeah, all, the, the yeah. democratically controlled Congress, both chambers of the Congress, and the president of the United States of America in 2022 would let this jump off is a, is a blemish. It's one of many blemishes yeah. on this nation. But it is, it is inhumane as hell. And people should be taken to the streets. If this was another co other country, people be in the streets yeah. right now over this. Oh, uh, yeah, no, in France, they'd be setting things on fire. Um, I mean, but we God, just, dog we just it. sit around. And how selfish well, could we be in this country to allow people to blame the rail workers for this because my Christmas right. might be interrupted or my gas prices are going to go up? They, they no, then if, 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 if the rail workers are that important, and they are, then damn it, give them what they're asking for. And then we saw yeah. this problem. This ain't rocket science. Give them what they're asking for, and we don't. Yeah. No, the other the owners are making billions of dollars. That's right. It's very obvious who can solve this situation. That's it. People and don't you know go what? on strike because stuff's easy. They go on strike because they're at the end of their rope. They can't it's make hard. things work. That's I mean, why people go on strike. Make money. Do people forget that when you go on strike, you don't you are not collecting a paycheck. So you're right, Dave. When people go on strike, this is serious business. And if I were president of the United States of America, I call all those CEOs of the rail companies. In a room, we ain't leaving here until this is solved, starting with this paid leave. Because, see, you ain't about to make a fool out of me because I'm going to gas up the jet, baby. If, if I'm going down, all you mofos going down, everybody going down. Because I ain't going down by myself on this one. These workers are right. I mean, I think, I mean, you carry the biggest stick in the world. Why can't the president call these fools in? Oh, I forgot because they his he, owner donors. That's why they're donors. He did, yeah, no, he exactly. did though, and they cut a deal in favor of the of the, Dave, of the owners, the, and then it, the, it was it was the wrong deal. 
the deal I'm it talking was a terrible about deal. is a good uh, deal. Yeah, either either we're gonna go out here side by side and talk about this is a great day for workers, or you going down. But again, the reason this has happened, the major reason this is happening, there's pay that's definitely an issue, but the, the big reason is over days off for being sick. Yeah. And we're the only country in the world. We're the yeah. only Western country in the world that does not that's have right. a federally mandated amount of days off you get for being sick. So this that's is, right. at the end of the day, a complete and total failure of government. And I'm pretty sure the Democrats have been in control of government uh, enough times in my life that this shouldn't be a problem if they actually believed in it and they don't and Dave, can we remind the people of this dave and josh that uh, i'm old enough to remember that paid sick leave was in the bill back better it oh, was yeah in there yes it was and instead they wanted to yeah. pass that infrastructure bill first giving up leverage on build back better i remember that president biden talked about what a disgrace it was not to have paid leave in the united states now he said that. Yeah, well he campaigned on that. He was gonna run it. That was a campaign issue with him. Yeah. Yes, it was. Why don't we remember that? What is wrong with us? Nobody remembers anything and it's it's been that way my whole life. Everyone that just happened. I mean it, we all have long COVID. It just happened yesterday, you know, in terms of uh history. Yeah, it was just yesterday, yeah. Now, this is what the man said exactly. He said, it's a national disgrace. This was March of 2020. And I'm quoting current president of the United States. It's a national disgrace that millions of our fellow citizens don't have a single day of paid sick leave available to them. Now, what has changed from March of 2020 to November of 2022? Please, somebody help me. I can can think of one thing. But that's about it. <laughs> He's not running, man. They're we not learning their lessons. They're not. The, the lessons are being uh, shown to them over and over and over again, and they do not learn from them. Hmm. I have a 13 year old, and I'm just like, this is another lesson, dude. You just learn another lesson. Like, you, this is a life thing that you're learning. The Democrats apparently have never had an adult say that to them because they never learn a lesson. One of the reasons you got Trump is why you're treating the, the same reason you're treating the unions right now. That's one of the That's reasons it. you got Trump. Big reason. If you're the party of betrayal. So, you know, you might want to stop it. Um, I want to go on two things. Uh, uh, first, it's a recommendation for nobody else. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you're a, a movie person you know, or not, but uh, for our listeners who haven't seen this film, one of my very favorite movies in the world. I know Dave loves it, too. The the great screenwriter and director Paul Schrader did a film uh, called Blue Collar, 1980, starring mm-hmm. Richard Pryor in easily his most amazing performance. Uh, have you seen the film? Oh, oh. My God. I'm, I'm go go get. I will I will send it to you. I will if you if you can't find it, it's um it should be streaming somewhere. Okay. It's Richard Pryor, Yavacado, and Harvey Keitel. It's about three guys who work in an auto plant. They're union guys. Um, and there's a sequence in it that's uh, just a speech uh, Yafikado gives to another character where he asks him why he goes to the line every Friday to work. And the guy's not sure. He says, because the finance man's going to be at your house on Saturday, right? That's exactly what the company wants, to keep you on their line. They'll do anything to keep you on their line. They pit the lifers against the new boys, the old against the young, the black against the white. Everything to keep us in our place. And we're watching that now. We're watching that now as they try to like yeah. expose, quote unquote, these railway workers as greedy, as lazy, as as a danger to the economy. 
and and it's 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 both sides. It's you know I'm, I'm not going to pretend that Democrats are indistinguishable from Republicans, but they both do this. Yeah. But I want to go out on a laugh if we can. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I need it. Can we go out on a laugh? Some grape juice. Because we're gonna wrap things up next next week. There's uh, we're pretty much done with all the lessons. Next week is just our two leads, because I can't think of them as real people uh, ruminating on the state of current politics. And we're gonna do something a little bit different, I think, for that. Uh, so this is the end of our lessons, and they talk about the end of the race and how kind of depressing it can be and so forth, and especially election day. Axelrod tells a story of how amazing it was, and I believe him 100. I mean, how could it not have been? What an amazing day that was, finding out that Obama had won. Um, I'm going to play the end of it because Rove's uh, reaction is absolutely hilarious to me. Uh, my wife wouldn't leave until she made her last call uh, that night. And I remember uh, her walking into the hall um, and I saw her across the hall and our eyes locked and we both had tears in our eyes. Uh, because we felt we were a part of something pure and good, and mm -hmm. uh, and it was really an affirmation of why we do the work. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was um, it was a great experience. So as painful as those bad moments are, there are some really wonderful moments in this yeah. where you feel like you've done something. Yeah, my presidential moment was not as uh, glamorous. Because of Florida, oh. we obviously. Oh, yes. 36 days. Went on, it went on for a while. Yeah, 36 days. So I have. But this goes to another point, which is be ready for recounts. Be ready, yeah, be ready for recounts. Oh, 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 oh. oh be ready for First recounts. First of all, poor, poor Carl. I feel terrible for him. But I like, like Axelrod's just sitting there chuckling. Oh, yeah, that's right. You Florida. <laughs> Stole the election. Stole an election. Oh, Stole an election. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's as close to funny as we get here. I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. We can't all be Senator Nina Turner giving inspirational speeches every time we go. It's like some of us just have to laugh at Carl Rowe feeling bad for himself. You think they didn't have a party? <laughs> Seriously. You think they didn't just like have a bunch of young boys and girls running around covered in olive oil and they just ate them raw while they were like just cheering and dousing themselves in pig blood? I mean, it's just. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> I'm looking at a woman who's got a very meaningful political career, both ahead of her and behind her going, I can't be associated. <laughs> this is your Reverend Wright moment. What I'm kidding about the pig blood. That is not a viable theory. I'm just. Uh, what are they uh, saying? I'm pretty sure they ate that? children, though. <laughs> I am pretty sure they ate children. Um, any any parting words on uh, this this thing? Or are we? Uh, That's just, just gross. <laughs> I, I, it's just like the way that they're just everybody gets whitewashed. Like man. This country, that, that's the reason we are where we are is because nobody can remember anything. It's just, it's just, it's mind boggling. And you talk to people and they just talk in circles because nobody remembers anything. I'm going to remember this railroad thing for the rest of my life. Oh, and liberals oh, won't, believe it. Liberals won't remember it at all. Yeah. At all. They won't yeah. remember it because it doesn't matter yeah. to them because mm -mm. it didn't make them feel uncomfortable. They're fine with it. Well, their stuff got somewhere. Your stuff's not supposed to get somewhere when people are getting treated poorly. But they, they're not going to remember. They don't they don't remember any of this stuff like yeah. this. This is really when you heard Axelrod was doing a masterclass with Rove. If you're anybody, 
on a Democrat, you should have thought, don't do that. What are you doing? Don't do mm-hmm. that. That's a bad person. That's a terrible person. Why are you doing anything with him in public? You're helping him by doing that. You're normalizing a monster. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a, I couldn't, every time I turned it on, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. Like, you're just helping yeah. these people. You're helping them. I can even understand a culture in which, I mean, it makes, you know, when you look and you see Bill Clinton and George Bush and, you know, Barack Obama. And I think w. the president is together at some event. different. president is different. It I is different. Agree. And I'm not going to sit there and go, God. But uh, there is also a difference between them having to go to some event to each other and be cordial and all the rest of that. And, and say, you know, uh, Michelle slipping George, you know, cough drops and yucking about what friends they are. That gets, now you're starting to get creepy. But but there is a difference there. I, I don't have, I don't have a huge issue with, with with that. But yeah, when it starts to get down to this level, where the people who are, you know, theoretically believers in in what you do, uh, are all sitting around the same table. Well, I, I mean, I, just to push back a little bit. I mean, these. Well, no, to go back to what I said before, they're friends. They're friends. Yeah. I mean, they're they're friends. Yeah. So oh no, absolutely. Somebody is your friend. You don't necessarily look at them through the analytical lens that we are looking at these two doing this master class. They are yeah. friends or at least strong colleagues, legitimately so. You know, and yeah. so if that is the case, if you are in relationship with somebody, you ultimately do not see or choose not to at least point out the bad or the dangerous things. You just choose, you know what, I ain't gonna deal with that. And that's what we see in this masterclass. But I do believe that they they genuinely have an effect an aff- affection for one another, even if it's because of the battle scars, even though there may have been different reasons for each to get the scars, they still mm-hmm. have been battle tested through similar experiences. These are two men in relationship. Yeah. They really are. And so that part of me, you know, when I think of it that way, I kind of say, well, damn, you know, that's just what it is. I might not like it, but that's real. Yeah. It's very interesting because I've had this I've had this conversation with a couple of comedians who have been like I and in Aust- both in Australia and here who've been like, I can't be friends with that. I've known this person for 20 years, but now things are being revealed about how they truly care don't care about other people and I can't be friends with them anymore. And I would think if you're an axelrod next to a rove, as time went on and things got worse, you should see that more. I mean, I get that they hang in the same circles a little bit, but I hang in the same circles of some comedians that I don't talk to anymore. Or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm-hmm. As time goes on, people reveal themselves, and, and in times of stress, and these are difficult times. We haven't, America hasn't been through times like this in a long time. Uh, people reveal who they are. And I, I, I think it's harder to be friends with people like a Carl Rove or anybody else that I have a very different opinions of how to fix these things. But your conscious mind, like you're, you're putting your consciousness, you're overlaying it on Axelrod. True. There's nothing there. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't remember it that way, obviously. No, I mean, I'm masterclass. Right. I'm basically talking about a guy who was just an episode of the West Wing. 
That's all. That's all it is, right? He's a <laughs> script from The West Wing. That's all he is. And there you have it, folks. Uh, Josh, I thought oh, shout out to our last positive podcast. note. We, we just went back. Yeah, ah! I, I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny that Carl Rove felt bad that he didn't get a big moment. <laughs> that, okay, you know. it was funny. <clears throat> hey, man, I stole this entire election. We didn't get the big, uh, poor me. Um, yeah, I know. I feel bad because last week, last week, you you got both of us so revved up. Like, you know, we were off. Like, we went off to a march. I don't know. A break. <laughs> we were, like, feeling great. And this week, we just beat you down. But yeah. we have one more episode. So one more shot for you to for you to triumph and to cheer us up. As ever, we want to thank you all for joining us. We'll be back with another episode of The Audit. That the life is against the new boy, the young against the old, the black against the white. Everything they do is to keep us in our place. Baby, I know you got your thing for campaign strategies. You dig it? And I do too. And I know your head is full of questions. But I got friends who can give all the answers to you. Oh, yeah. We got Kyle Rowe, DC's King of Folk. We got David Axelrod with the junk all in his trunk. The free on mind, the guarantee. And now they ask in return. Incredible support team. Uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, a.k.a. research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as Diesel Boots.